Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley and I am two things. One, glad I got that out. Uh, And also one of your usual suspects on the pod, my co-host and usual pod quarterback, Gene Ross is out this week. So I will be attempting to steer the boat. Gene had prior obligations and I apologize beforehand if this thing goes off the rails, but In his absence, we brought in the big guns. Our editor, he is a heck of a podcaster and a writer and all of that good stuff. He's our captain, Matt Tamanini is joining. Matt, thanks for filling in, glad to have you, and uh, how's it going? Good, I have never gotten that good of an intro in my entire life, so I appreciate that. I am uh, glad to be here. I've pinch hit a few times on Hangout in the Holy Land uh, with past hosts, but, um, very, very few and far between. I usually let the uh, the really talented folks handle this show. Um, so I, I'm glad that <laughs> you deemed me worthy to bring me on uh, at least once. All right, well, no, we, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to what you have to talk about, what you have to say. And we're going to run this two-man weave and see how our chemistry is. But uh, this week is Bold Predictions Week on Land Grant Holy Land. So Matt and I wanted to go over and discuss... One bold prediction each for the offense, the defense, and the team. That could be overall or record or things like that. So we're going to jump right into it, and you'll hopefully see some really good stuff throughout the week about other members of the site and their bold predictions. But Matt, as the guest and the captain, I'm going to let you have the floor first. I figure we'll do offense, defense, and team in that order. So why don't you hit me with your first bold prediction for offense? All right, I have written about this um, already and kind of alluded to it in other articles, but my offensive bold prediction, I'm honestly not sure how bold it actually is at this point, but my bold prediction is that Master Teague, former All-Big Ten running back Master Teague, will end this season with, at most, the third most rushing attempts by a running back on the team. Um, So what that would mean is, is that although he was the starter for pretty much the entire 2020 season until, um, you know, uh, Trey Sermon kind of went uh, intergalactic Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl mode, um, I I think that not only will Master Teague be passed in carries by Travion Henderson, who I think will actually end up being the default starter, whether he's the first guy in the game or not, he's going to be the bell cow belt. He's going to be the bell cow back. Uh, But I also think that Mayan, don't call me meatball, my nickname is Chop Williams, will actually be the guy to come in second on the team. Um, I think we know what Master Teague is. We know what kind of running back he is. We know what he does well. He's a strong between the tackles guy. And if he gets to the outside and is able to make that turn, he has a little bit of speed, but he's not. Um, a breakaway guy like J.K. Dobbins, who he obviously backed up in his freshman year. He is not um, a super elusive guy either. He's just a steady meat and potatoes, north-south running back. And while I think that that will definitely have a role in this offense, especially with whomever is starting at quarterback being fairly young and never having thrown a pass in college, um, 
I think that especially Travion Henderson just has too much athleticism and too much to use the parlance of the Urban Meyer era juice. Um, I just feel like Travion is going to be the guy who might take him a few games. Um, But I don't think that even the Ohio State coaching staff, who is noted for favoring seniority, I just don't think they can keep him off the field. And Mayan Williams being the number two guy might be just a sentimental pick because like the dude's amazing um, and Mm -hmm. his story's amazing, but he looked really good at the end of last season, even in the national championship game. He only had 10 carries last year, but he averaged 6.4 yards per carry. That was, um, you know, more than master Teague. It was behind Trey Sermon behind even steel chambers who may or may not even be a running back even anymore for Ohio state. But I really like what I saw from from Mayan. I think he might be able to be the guy who is the counter to Travion, who's more athletic, who has more speed. Mayan might be kind of the, you know, no pun intended based on his weight, since a lot of people have called him a bowling ball in the past. But like he might be the better bowling ball than Master Teague, who because he has a little bit more shiftiness. So I really think Master Teague, all due respect, I appreciate what he's done the last two seasons, but I think he's the third leading rusher in terms of attempts at best because i could even see marcus crowley or or even evan Pryor jumping in and taking some carries from him depending on how the season goes yeah so matt i think that's you're definitely coming in hot but i don't (laughs) i can't really i i can't disagree with it i think it's something i could see happening but so based off of your prediction i would have two questions for you i guess before we go on to mine Okay. One, do you think that Master Teague starts game one, or do you think this happens prior to the season, like this kind of revolving door of running back or this this movement around? And then two, as sort of the follow-up to that, if he falls down the depth chart, do you think that Master Teague has a role at all, or do you think this is a two-running back system with those other guys kind of fighting for the scraps in blowouts and things like that? I do think that he will start the season as the starter. I don't know what that means beyond just being the running back on the very first play of the game. Um, I mm-hmm. could see him being the guy to get the first series. Then Travion Henderson comes in and gets his own series. And then Ryan Day just goes with who looks best. I I don't think that having watched, again, never seen Travion Henderson play in a live football game, but having watched his his highlight film pretty extensively during the recruiting process and during the spring having seen him, um, he didn't play uh, his senior year of high school uh, football, but having now watched him, I just can't imagine a world in which you see him and Master Teague on the field together and you don't say, oh yeah, that Henderson guy is the better running back. Now, Master Teague has more experience. He might be better physically because he's been in college working with Mickey Marotti for for three years now. So that might give him the benefit of the doubt early in the season. But when it just comes to being a dude and being a better running back, there, I, I, in my mind, there's no question. So I think Master Teague will be the quote-unquote starter. Ohio State didn't do depth charts last year, so who knows if there's going to be relief, releasing depth charts this season. But if they did, I think they'd put... Master Teague first, and then they'd put the or um, next to his name um, with Travion Henderson being the or starter. But I just think uh, it's not going to take long for fans, opponents, and Ohio State's coaching staff to see that Travion Henderson is just better. They might need to spell him a little bit because he is going to be getting used to the to the beating that that comes in college football and in Big Ten college mm-hmm. football. Again, especially not only is he a freshman, but he's now going to be about two years removed from his last season of, of competitive football. Um, but I, I think that it won't take long for Henderson to be there. Um, I think Master Teague will still have a role on this team. I think you can see them... Um, going three wide when it comes to running backs throughout the season, even during, you know, competitive uh, games. I'm not saying he's going to be the garbage time back. I think he will get his his carries during, um, you know, in, during important series and during important games. Uh, but I could also see him kind of lingering in with the second team offense when Ohio State has the game in uh, in hand. Um, and then maybe throwing it over to Marcus Crowley or Evan Pryor or Steel Chambers if he remains a running back. So I think Teague will be the quote-unquote starter at least earlier in the season, and I think he'll be a part of the offense no matter how things shake out. 
but I still, I, I just feel like he's going to be passed. I feel like the Travion Henderson part isn't bold. I feel like the Mayan Williams part might be the more bold part of this prediction. Um, but, uh, you know, we've seen Marcus, or we've seen Master T types before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, my, um, um, Mike Weber comes to mind. Very similar backs in my mind, at least in th- terms of their production. Solid, hard to argue against them being good backs, but they're, eh. They're just not great. And when you have a stud come in, whether that's J.K. Dobbins or Travion Henderson, it just makes sense in modern college football to have those guys on the field. Yeah, you kind of hit a couple good points, man. I like that prediction overall. I am completely on board the Travion Henderson train. I agree with you. I think that whether it's week one, two, five, ten, whatever, I think that he becomes the cemented starter. And I really liked your comparison of say, a Mike Weber and a Master Teague. They, they've been great for Ohio State, and they've had some, some really great highlights, but then they get passed by somebody who's just, I would call a transcendent talent. J.K. Dobbins fit mm-hmm. the bill. I think Travion Han- Henderson will fit the bill. And so, um, yeah, I like that prediction. I like that we came out hot, you know, putting a, uh, an experienced guy on the bench. Um, but I'll go ahead and jump into mine. So right. my bold prediction for the offense is that Kyle McCord will play meaningful snaps in a meaningful game. Now, I'm not saying that he is going to be the starter at any point, although I would not be shocked. Barring injury, I think C.J. Stroud begins and ends the season. However, he is unproven. He has zero pass attempts at the collegiate level. And so I could see a game where the Buckeyes are up maybe seven to ten points, and maybe it's the second or the third or the fourth game of the season. Stroud is struggling, and Ryan Day calls upon Kyle McCord. That's where I sort of see his entry into the fold. You know, he's a five-star guy, and just from watching some of the things I've seen online, watching him in the spring game, I think he has the best arm talent in the quarterback room right now by no means do i think that cj stroud is a slouch Um, like i said i think he's going to be the starter but kyle mccord has a howitzer on his right shoulder and i think that once he gets an opportunity he's definitely going to show that plus he's been locked into ohio state since 2019 obviously not here the whole time but he made a decision very early kind of shut down his recruitment so he's familiar with the schemes and the style He enrolled early as a freshman, enrolled in January. So he's been in the weight room, in the meeting rooms, all of that good stuff. And he looked really good in the spring game. You know, he was 12 for 17, 184 yards, two scores. Uh, You know, the first pass he threw in the shoe was a beautiful deep ball to Garrett Wilson in the spring game. I think it was about 40 to 50 yards on a rope. So yeah, it was a little underthrown. It was a little underthrown there, Josh. Yeah, I almost almost got Garrett (laughs) Wilson hurt. Right. Yeah, but he almost got Garrett Wilson hurt. So let's let's be um, I I would not have been happy with him if Garrett Wilson would have gotten injured and had to sit out the rest of the game or something. Yeah, fair enough. Then he'd be like on our our you know what list. But um, (laughs) I do think that the arm talent is there. And so I do see an avenue where he plays. And I think all three guys maybe play early on in a blowout or something like that. But like I said, I think McCord plays meaningful snaps and they're not injury related. I just see where they need to change it up and maybe CJ's not getting it done. So, you know, how does that uh, prediction hit you, Matt? Well, first off, I think you're absolutely right that Kyle McCord is the number two at worst quarterback in Ohio State's room. With um, With all due respect to Jack Miller, who has been a Buckeye for a very long time in terms of his recruitment, has never wavered from that even when they brought in another quarterback. I respect him. But he's probably going to be good elsewhere, right? I mean, yeah. let's just be honest. He's going to be good elsewhere. He's going to be well. He's going to be fine elsewhere. I think. I mean, he's a guy who, look, the reason he fell so much in the rank is because he had multiple injuries. And having seen him back in the spring, healthy for a full year, he looked like he was still hampered by those injuries. And a lot of times nowadays, mm-hmm. with with the modern medicine and training and rehabilitation, guys can come back even better. Uh, than they were before knee injuries. He didn't look like he did. And I'm not a doctor, and I'm mostly just an idiot. So I could be wrong, and he might go out to (laughs) LSU and win a Heisman. 
but he just didn't look like he was as smooth. I actually think Kyle McCord is probably the best athlete of the three arm, you know, not just arm. I think he's just the best athlete of the three. But you're right. C.J. Stroud will likely be the starter. I think Kyle McCord will be second. Let me ask you this in a hypothetical. You said maybe in the fourth or fifth game, um, Ohio State's struggling. C.J.'s not really getting the job done. What if it's in one of the first two games? What if it's against Minnesota in the opener, a conference game against a, you know, a decent conference opponent? They were down last year, but they're, you know, there was kind of a weird year. Um, and then mm-hmm. against Oregon, who's the best non-conference opponent that they're going to face. Do you think that Ryan Day will stick to Stroud wanting to get some consistency, um, not wanting to, you know, throw in a new quarterback with a new cadence and all of that stuff to an offense if they're not, you know, going really well? Or do you think that he might put McCord in there in one of those early, not necessarily must win games, but you've got to win at least one of them um, mm-hmm. that early in the season. So w- what do you think? Do you think they'll, he, he could throw him in there? Or do you think that they, they hold off until game four or five if they need to? Well, I think that's a hell of a question. And I actually thought about it. I, I don't think that Ryan Day would be scared to make that move early on. I just thought of that as that would be a fear of mine. That if we go into week one or week two against, uh, you know, road game under the lights week one and then Oregon solid opponent, if Stroud is already struggling, we bring McCord in, you know, how's that game going as a whole and is it too late? But uh, no, to your to your point. If Kyle McCord looks as good as he did in the spring game and as good as we kind of hear about if. I think it could be neck and neck. And if they put CJ in there and under the bright lights, he's clearly struggling. I don't think they would be afraid to put Kyle McCord in. I'll flip it back to you one more time before we move on, though. If that happens, do you think that Ryan Day looks back? Or does he make that move and say, look, CJ, you were our guy. You started week one or week two. You struggled. Kyle, you know, maybe comes in and he looks good. If McCord comes in and looks good in one of those games you mentioned, is it no turning back at that point? Uh, Obviously, a lot of this is situational. I mean, you know, who knows what's going on in the game. But removing all of the potential variables from it being, you know, a first game or two. I think I'll say this. If it happens in game one or two, I think Stroud will remain because those are big games. And maybe McCord doesn't have as much pressure coming in in relief. Who knows? But if it's game four, game five of the season, um, that's when I think there's the point of no return. You put McCord in um, and let him be the starter. We all understand that Ohio State's quarterback situation is going to be weird over the next few years. I'm honestly surprised that Jack Miller hasn't transferred yet. Um, I actually mentioned it coming out of the spring game in an article. Yeah. I, like, I kind of just thought he'd be gone by now. Um, Ryan Day's done a good job of keeping all of those guys there. We know who's coming next. We know Quinn Ewers will be here in, at this point, like four and a half months. So, you know, I, I think that Ryan Day has to do what's best for the team this year. And if Stroud is struggling after two or three, four games, put McCord in. Let him battle. We know he's a five-star talent. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would agree. I don't know that necessarily if it happens against Minnesota or Oregon that Ohio State or that Ryan Day will leave him in as starter. But if it happens after that, I think he absolutely should. Yeah, I like all those points. I think we're pretty much on the same page here. It's a good problem to have, right? Having two, three, four quarterbacks, four and five star recruits in the pipeline is a very good problem to have. But sometimes you run into those scenarios where you kind of your gut says one thing, your eyes or your heart say another. And so you play this juggling game back and forth. Hopefully we don't come across that. Hopefully we have a guy and, you know, he's set. Yeah, and, and one of the things is is that so much of being a college football coach is having a plan and executing that plan. And one of the things that really differentiates good, well, not even good, great college football coaches, which I already think Ryan Day is. We can argue about where he agreed, belongs in yeah, these stupid agreed. lists. He's a great college football coach. But what separates a great college football coach from an elite college football coach is being willing and able to scrap your plan and think on the fly and make decisions, taking in what's going on uh, around you. We saw this um, with Nick Saban in the national championship game a few years ago when he said, 
Jalen Hurts, you're my quarterback. You're great. You're awesome. I'm going to go with Tua Tungavailoa in the second half. Those are the types of things that Ryan Day hasn't done yet. And that's not a fault of his. He just hasn't had to yet. Um, So Mm -hmm. whenever we see an opportunity arise like that, that's going to be the thing that I think Ohio State fans will look for to see if, okay, is Ryan Day just a great organizer and a great recruiter and a great game planner? Or is he an elite coach? by being able to make decisions on the fly and kind of being able to analyze and break things down in the moment. He hasn't had to do it yet, but having to make a decision about a struggling quarterback with these options this year, that could absolutely be an opportunity for him to do that. Yeah, 1,000%. The Saban example is a great one. And you look at, as much as I dislike the guy, Davo Swinney, granted, timing was different, but making the call, hey, we've got Trevor Lawrence coming in. He is this uber talent. Um... Gosh, Kelly Bryant. Yeah, Kelly Bryant Bryant. ended up grabbing the pine on that one. So great point. Yeah, this this is what sets the best of the best apart is being willing to adapt and veer from their initial decision to do what's best for the team. So um, like I said, good problem to have. And and I have the utmost confidence that it's going to work out. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, Matt. Hit me with your bold prediction for the, I would say, beleaguered silver bullets coming off of uh, a rough year in 2020. Yeah, I mean, last year, Ohio State actually had one of, if not the best defensive lines in the country. Everything else was a bit of a mess. The linebackers were mad. The secondary was awful. They were number 122 in the country out of like 124 uh, in terms of pass (laughs) defense. And it was absolutely horrible. The problem is, is that there were a couple years of recruiting and I'm I'm blanking all of a sudden on the guys who were the DB coaches at that time. Basically, after Kerry Combs left to go to the NFL, before Jeff Halfley got there, there was a run of a couple a couple seasons where the defensive back recruiting was horrible. That was who basically was playing last year, save for Sean Wade. Um, fortunately for Ohio State, they're going to have some fresh faces in there. And these are guys that are primarily have been recruited um, by Combs or Halfley. And they have done a better job in bringing in guys. But my overall bold prediction here is that by the end of the season, and again, we know Ohio State's coaching staff tends to favor seniority. But by the end of the season, I think that there will be more underclassmen starting on the defense than juniors or seniors. That's a very weird thing to see at Ohio State because so often they just keep turning over NFL talent that you have to wait a couple years to get into the starting lineup. But I think that by the end of the season, Jack Sawyer will be a starter as a defensive end. He's going to play, I think, he's going to be at least the number three guy in the rotation. We know Larry Johnson likes to rotate guys. I think that he will be a a starter at defensive end by the end of the season. What that means for guys um, like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, I don't know. I think Zach Harrison is going to have a great year, so it might be Tyreek Smith who gets bumped. Um, I also think um, Cody Simon will probably end up, in my opinion, taking one of those linebacker starting positions, probably at Mike. Wow. Okay. I don't know if it'll be at the beginning of the season because, look, here's the thing. I like that one. That's bold. Here's the thing. Um, Pete Werner in 2018 was a joke and everybody laughed at him and kind of put him and tough, uh, tough Borland in the same boat. Pete Werner proved that he was a competent, um, linebacker. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to necessarily knock him last season because he was actually pretty good and he's end up having a, a pretty good draft spot, um, with, the, with the saints. So I'm not going to knock him. But Tough Borland was horrible, and he's been horrible mm-hmm. for years. I understand that the coaches love him. He was smart, blah, 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 whatever. He's not a guy that you can let start at Ohio State if you have better options. And that's what scares me about guys like Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kevon Pope. Those are guys who have been in the program for a while. High expectations for all of them, super high recruits. But they couldn't, none of them could beat Tough Borland onto the field. Um, and then, you know, with with a guy like Baron Browning last season, super athletic dude, um, never really lived up to his recruiting expectations. That has a lot to do with injuries. Um, but Mitchell Ganton Pope still never grabbed on um, uh, to those opportunities. So I'm a little worried about those three guys. Then you've got somebody like Cody Simon, who's younger, who is, again, super athletic. 
Um, he's going to have to also contend now with Pallier Note Note, who apparently is paying his own way until the NCAA gets off of its ass and figures out what they're doing there. But the thing is, is he's... <laughs> He's a former five-star, but not dissimilar from Jack Miller. He's been through a couple pretty subst- uh, substantive knee injuries. Um, and he was had a concussion last year as well. And he was never been a hugely fast guy. And when you're only going to have two linebackers on the field with this bullet position, I think you're going to probably want a guy with speed. And, and that's where I think Cody Simon comes in. So I'm going to go with Cody Simon as a linebacker, by, uh, linebacker starter by the end of the season. I think Craig Young will probably be the starter at the bullet position from the beginning of the year. But even if he's not, you've got Court Williams and or Ronnie Hickman, who's got probably going to take that spot as a bullet. So one of those three young guys um, will qualify. I think we're going to have Lathan Ransom um, maybe in in the slot at, at one of the cornerbacks if we're going to run this 4-2-5 um, with one safety and four cornerbacks, depending on how they run that bullet. I think Lathan Ransom will be one of them. I also see um, Ryan Watts stepping in there. Again, Cam Brown is coming off of a knee injury, so he might be a guy who doesn't, uh, you know, some of these guys have passed him. Marcus Williamson um, maybe is the nickel, but I think he could get passed as well by one of these young guys. Um, and, uh, I think legend Cavazos, uh, very well might be one of those guys to make it in as well. So I think we see, um, Lathan Ransom, legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts starting, um, at the end of the season, that's a big haul in the, in the secondary, but you've still got seven banks as a, as a veteran, probably on the outside at corner. And you've got Josh Proctor at safety. Who knows? Josh Proctor might get passed too by like Bryson Shaw, I guess. But like my, my guess would be the corners are seven banks outside legend Cavazos outside um maybe Lathan Ransom in the slot and then throw in Ryan Watts um in a nickel maybe even Cam Martinez uh, and then Josh Proctor as the single high but that's my 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 thoughts six underclassmen starting in the defense by the end of the year yeah, that's another one that I like. I don't know if my number is six, but I am in I couldn't total go, agree. I couldn't go five. I couldn't go less than half because that's kind of lame, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Yeah, but what I what I like about that prediction is I think that Ohio State's defense is due and in need of a youth movement. I think that we got caught with our pants down last year. We were too hesitant, and we didn't have the horses, really, to take out yeah. a tough Borland, a Pete Werner. Well, I mean, and, you know, Werner had kind of earned his keep, or more than earned his keep, but especially in the secondary, who was coming in with any sort of experience to bump those guys? And the pandemic really hindered their development in their spring in 2020. So I think that they are due for a youth movement, and I like a lot of those names that you mentioned uh, you know, you co- you threw Cody Simon out there, and that was like raw meat I, for you. You jumped all over that one. Well, you know, I like Cody Simon a lot, and I really like the point you made that if T. Mitchell and Kayvon Pope and these guys look, maybe they are going to be great. But if they were all that, and you know they were chomping at the bit and looked great in practice, and so on and so on, they should have or could have leaped a tough Borland and played a lot more than they did. I mean, these guys rarely saw the field. You thought if they were, if they were doing that well in practice and situations and things like that, you would at least have some sort of rotation. And really we had those three guys out there all the time with Justin Hilliard spelling them and no youth behind coming in. So that's why I like the point you made about Cody Simon. Throw somebody else out there. Let's see what this guy has. Yeah, and that's the thing is like they wouldn't even have needed to necessarily supplant Tough Borland as the starter. They just would have needed to get on the field more in the last two seasons when the when linebackers really struggled. Right, right, exactly. And they didn't, <laughs> and that's what scares me. Like I have, I've had, I've been beating the Taraja Mitchell drum for year for a couple of years now, thinking he needed to be on the field. Now maybe I'm, you know, the one thing I always come back to when I think, oh, there's this backup who I think should be playing. The thing is, is like. You have to remember the coaches know more than we do. They see them yeah. more. They know what the guys are capable of. So at some point, you've just got to be like, okay, I, I guess there's a reason he's not playing. It's the same thing. I've been leading the hashtag free Demario calls for for years, but really at some point it's kind of just become a joke because there's obviously a reason he's not playing, and it has probably a lot to do with the fact that he fumbles every time he touches the ball. But like coaches just know more. So if the, if there's guys that you think should be playing and they aren't, 
chances are there's a really good reason for it. Yeah, yeah, total agreement. And I'm really glad that you brought up the secondary because that correlates to my bold prediction. And I am fully prepared to be laughed out of the room slash laughed off of the pod for this. But (laughs) my bold prediction for the Ohio State defense is that they more than double their interception total from 2020 to at least 16. The reason I chose 16 is because that would be the second or the highest total since 2016. It would be one more than 2019 when they had the Okudas, Arnett's, Fuller's, that great backfield. Um, You know, obviously they're going to play more games, so maybe I'm not too outlandish, but (laughs) they ended up with seven interceptions last year. Sean Wade had two. No other player had more than one. Uh, You know, Seven Banks is our top projected starter. He had zero last year. He has one in his career. So I realize it sounds crazy on the surface, but, you know, I think like you said, we're going to see a lot of young guys on the field, particularly in the secondary. I think that it is time for the youth movement. That's why these meshed so well together. I think that you are going to see... Ryan Watts, you mentioned him. I love Ryan Watts. Ransom, I think, is going to get playing time. And I truthfully think that we're going to see J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock get on the field at some point, too. So I think we're going I think that we are going to see an infusion of new talent. So they were inexperienced last year. Those guys are at least getting practice reps in 2021. There's really no reason to have a whole lot of confidence in the guys that started last year when they were so dreadful. So why not throw the new guys in? And also, you know, I think that the run defense and the pass rush will be just as good, if not better, than last year. So teams will essentially be forced to throw. They will look to throw given Ohio State's performance last year. So More balls in the air, more opportunity is another reason that I kind of went this way. But Mm. it's predominantly about the talent. We are going to see a turnover. I think that we are going to see better playmakers on the field, guys who are just more capable than the ones we saw last year. So, again, sort of crazy on the surface to go from 7 to 16. But the last thing, and I almost bypassed it, is the law of averages. If you go the last five years – 2016, they had 21 interceptions. 2017, they had 13. 2018, they had 11. 2019, they had 15. Those were great secondaries. We know that. But again, if you just sort of look at the law of averages, the number is about 15 for the previous four years that were not shortened by anything. So, you know, I, I'm trying to talk myself into it. I feel sort of good about good about it. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. What do you think of that prediction? Well, I think what will have to be dependent on that to make that work is if some of these young guys get in there. I think um, the athleticism from them might be something that causes some of that. Um, I could also see Josh Proctor having a pretty good year if they kind of let him roam around as as the single high safety and and play a center field like we saw from a guy like uh, like Malik Hooker, let him go out and run sideline to sideline and pick off balls uh, as he sees fit. I could see him adding some to that total. But but I think the thing that really plays into that is is that if they are able to do two things. Score points on offense, which forces the the opposing offense to throw the ball more, which you mentioned. But also, how does the defensive line get pressure on the opposing quarterbacks? We know, as I said earlier, that they had one of the best defensive lines in the country last year, but that often kind of proved itself out in terms of stopping the run. They were one of the best, according to PFF, in terms of getting pressure on quarterbacks, but not super hot in terms of getting sacks. I think the more they're able to get to quarterbacks and get pressure on them, forces them to make some poor decisions, throws ball, throw balls up, especially if Ohio State gets out to big leads early, which they didn't do last year. Like Even though they won games and often won games big, they never really got out to huge leads, not nearly as much as they did in previous seasons. So uh, I like it. I think it's going to take some doing. Um but I'm all for it. Like, I'm excited to see that. We haven't seen it in a couple of years. We haven't seen them kind of go hog wild on the back end of the defense for a while. So uh, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm definitely here for it. 
Good. You know, I was thinking I was taking crazy pills, but the other thing, and I didn't mention it, you know, I just have too much confidence in Kerry Coombs. He has developed talent essentially like no other at Ohio State. This guy knows what he's doing with defensive backs. He obviously has confidence in Matt Barnes, and so does Ryan Day to bring him in. You know, I don't always love the face guarding and the things of that nature, but Coombs can produce. He, you know, Marcus Lattimore, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, so on and so forth. It's guy after guy when he has been there. So he gets a vote of confidence from me, not that he needs it. I just think that he is too good of a coach and we've got too good of a staff to let that happen two years in a row. Even if they fall short of 16, I think they're going to be much improved. So I'm feeling a little bit better about my prediction. We'll close it out with some team or record predictions. I, You kind of gave me a sneak preview of, of what you were going to hit me with, and I liked it, but I'm ready. The world is ready. Matt, what is your sort of team overall record prediction for 2021? All right. Mine has to do with um, the the most important side of the ball, and that is, of course, following in the tradition of Jim Tressel, special teams. Um, I think that Ohio State is going to attempt fewer than 10 field goals this season. I think they will have um, a single digit field goal attempts in 2021. Now, just for some context, they had 11 last season. Obviously, last season was a, a shortened season. But over the previous three years, 2019, they had 15, 2018, they had 18, 2017, they had 21, I think is, is yeah, 21 is the total. So not a lot. But here's the thing. During the, during the Ryan Day era, they have consistently gotten fewer and fewer. Again, 2020, weird year, blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking about like Ryan Day as, co- you know, as coordinator as well. And I think the more we see these weapons on offense, both in terms of the wide receivers and the running backs, the more confidence that Ryan Day is going to have in his offense getting points in the red zone. That is what killed Ohio State against Clemson the first time they met in the college football playoff under Ryan Day. They got into the red zone pretty much at will, but couldn't score. I think this has become a bit of a bugaboo uh, for Ryan Day and something that he is going to focus on. I don't think he is going to take settling for field goals unless it's absolutely necessary with the wide receivers that they have this season with the running back depth that they have this season i think that we are going to see them um, do honestly what the analytics say and punt less and kick field goals less often especially in the red zone so that's the one side of it the other side is is that with all due respect to jake seibert who is probably going to be um, the field goal kicker this year. They also got a transfer whose name I forget from North Carolina. Um, but Jake Seibert came in in Blake Hobbiel's stead last year when he hurt his groin. He was one for two. You know, they didn't throw him out there all that much. I mean, he played a number of games. He had 16 extra points and only two field goal uh, attempts. He was perfect on extra points. Actually, Ohio State was as a team all, all last season. Let him do that. Let the guy from North Carolina kick, you know, do place kicking. I, I just don't see Ryan Day settling for too many field goals. Will there be situations where it is prudent to take three points? Absolutely, and he will do it. But over the course of, you know, a a potentially 15-game season, yeah, nines once every five quarters or whatever. Do the math. I'm not a math person. Um, I don't think that's unreasonable, especially when you're probably going to be beating teams fairly badly and there's no point of rubbing it in and by kicking a field goal, it's probably better to just try to get points um, through, you know, giving them a better chance to stop you. So um, my thought is, is that the kicking game will be negligible fewer than 10 field goal attempts on the season. That one came completely out of left field. And if you gave me 100 years, I don't know if I would have come up with that one. So great job by you. But (laughs) you you brought up Anna. You brought up analytics. I think that's the big one. I think that Ryan Day and his staff, but more specifically Ryan Day, he has embraced this. I think that he looks at how do we put the most points up and if we fail, if we don't get this fourth down, what's the outcome? What's the worst case scenario? I think that he really, really embraces the analytics. 
unlike some previous coaches. I, Trestle, not a chance. Urban Meyer, I, I'm higher on than most, but he was a stubborn dude yes. who was set in his ways. So I really like the analytical approach and sort of even you mentioning that. I think that they do embrace that. And I think that if we attempt eight, nine field goals in 12 to 14 games, that's probably a good thing. We have seen totally. the old adage The old adage is college kickers, right? College kickers suck. They can't hit under pressure. They're not their NFL counterparts. It's You'll find that one rare gem, uh, Aguayo from Florida State. Mc, I think it's McPherson who the Bengals got from Florida. Those are rare examples, but for the most part – you're happy as a coach if you're getting 75%. And yep. if you're getting 75% and you hit, what, 14 out of 20 or something like that, like it, it's just not worth it. And I've been on that train. So I hope that we embrace that. And it's something that, like you said, it's nothing against Cybert, but let's put some other points on the board. He's really not that important in the grand scheme of things, yep. in my opinion, and it sounds like in your opinion as well. Yeah, I mean, unless you've got Nugent or the guy who wore glasses from Georgia or Dicker the kicker, you know, unless you've got an elite place kicker, it's not worth the risk. You have just as much risk of trying to get a a first down um, of less than three yards. It's probably fairly equal when you look at the analytics numbers. Um, so I would just rather try to take the opportunity to potentially score seven over the chance to potentially score three. And I think Ryan Day, given history and what we've seen from some past Ohio State offenses, it just makes sense for him to try to avoid settling for three as much as possible. If if Justin Fields in some crazy world came back this year, I would put a mortgage payment on that bet because he would trust Justin yeah. Fields so much and be so anti-field goal. He'd be like, you know what? Fourth and four from the 44, going for it. No problem. So, yeah. Um, well, but, yeah, and we, you know, we're and not we that see lucky. How- no, but we see how it works the other way around. Like we see James Franklin screw this up every single game. <laughs> if you watch a Penn State game, he's punting when he shouldn't punt. He's he's taking field goals when he shouldn't take field goals. That's what you get when you play these old down and distance card formulas that coaches were brought up on. That's not college football in the 21st century, or at least in the, I guess we're in the third decade of the 21st century now. That's not how college football is played. That's not how you score points. Abandon the James Franklin, um, you know, fear of, of going forward on fourth down and taking chances. And I think you will be much better for it. You know, James Franklin is taking some some shrapnel, but it's well-deserved. You know, we can leave it at he has lost them plenty of games doing the thing that you and I are vehemently against. So uh, another great prediction. I'm going to close this one out. You know, um, I I thought about this one. I was going to say, hey, I think Ohio State's going to go undefeated. I don't think that's bold. I didn't want to predict that they would lose a game as a homer. So... I did highlight a game that I thought would be their closest call. Week one, September 2nd, under the lights at Minnesota. I predict that that will be Ohio State's closest game of the season for a number of reasons. I think it's a tough opener. A lot of inexperience on the roster going to Minnesota. Not the most hostile crowd in the world, but a road game nonetheless. Eight o'clock kick, under the lights, some guys are going to get some big eyes when they walk out on that field for the first time. On top of that, Minnesota is solid. Don't let 2020 fool you. They return Tanner Morgan and Muhammad Ibrahim, Ibrahim especially, first team All-Big Ten last year, third team All-American. He is a hell of a running back. I think he could be the best in the Big Ten again this year. It would not surprise me. So those two guys specifically – Minnesota returns more experience than we do, if I'm not mistaken. I kind of went through the rosters and compared and contrasted. They are bringing a lot of guys back just because they don't send a ton to the NFL, but that's not our problem. So Ohio State, I think, is going to have its work cut out for it. And I think once some guys get some experience and they get into the Big Ten season, they're going to be on all cylinders. But week one is a total crapshoot. I think that it's 
not an up in the air game, but I think it could be close early. And ultimately, I think that they get it done with the running game, whomever that is, and the run defense while those young guys get acclimated. So I wouldn't say they're on upset alert, but I think that that is a 14-point game-ish. 10 to 14-point game. I think that they we get nervous at times, but they'll pull it out. It's just something to circle on the calendars. Do you think that, that, that Minnesota and the Gophers are going to give our Ohio State Buckeyes a problem week one? Oh, I definitely think that's a tough um, season opener. But let me ask you a question. When you say it's the closest, do you mean final score or in doubt late and then they pull away? What? How are you defining closest? I would say in doubt. Okay. Um, I think that you may run up against, you know, who knows what Penn State's going to be this year. We're not going to mention the school up north, but teams can always – mount that late comeback so maybe there is a 10 point game but with five minutes to go Ohio State was up 24 I think that this one will be close throughout and then maybe they punch in a late touchdown or two to kind of make it a two score game but yeah great question by you I think it is their closest throughout the duration of the game if that makes sense yeah I and I'm assuming you're saying that's on the schedule now and not including any potential postseason games because like Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a solid pick. I mean, I uh, I think the fact that it's the season opener plays into that as well. I think that the, the game the following week is probably a pretty tough one. And then you've got to expect – I mean, really, I'm looking at the schedule here. Um, it's tough to find a game – um, in the first half of the season that rises to either Minnesota or Oregon because they've got Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland, and they have a bye. The back half is going to be tough. I mean, I think Indiana, Ohio State, has the benefit of even though it's in Bloomington coming out of a bye for that one. Then they host Penn State. They're at home, so I feel pretty good about that. Um, you mentioned the team up north. I mean, they're garbage. So, um, yeah, I could see it. I, I don't know that I would pick it, but I could definitely see it. Yeah, you know, I wrestled with Oregon, but Oregon, they've got some studs on the defensive side of the ball. But I honestly, I just, I know they're bringing in a, he's not a transfer this year, but he barely played last year from Boston College. His name is escaping me. He's projected to be the starter at Oregon. You know, he couldn't play at Boston College for a reason. They've got Thibodeau on the defensive side. But they lost Javon Holland in their secondary. They don't have the stable of backs or wide receiver that we're accustomed to seeing. So that dropped Oregon a, l- a little bit. Uh, like you said, some of those Big Ten games, it's Big Ten life is crazy. But I'm actually lower on Indiana. I think they're going to be a fine team. But I do not think that they – I think they surprised some people last year. And I don't think that Ohio State will be surprised again. Not if Ryan Day has anything to say about it. So – that's why I ultimately settled on this game. In a perfect world, we're winning every game by 21, 28, 35 points, but we're going to have growing pains. We've got a lot of inexperienced guys on the team, and so I think that there will be some, I don't know if close call is the right word, but there will be some tense moments in some games that hopefully we just have to settle some guys down, rely on what we do best, and close out some games is the way I look at it. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, it's... It's going to be a weird season. Tons of guys um, that are new to the to, to playing are going to have opportunities to produce for Ohio State. So it's just about waiting and seeing what happens and hoping that the uh, coaches can get them ready to go early in the season because that opening through the season going at Minnesota and then hosting Oregon is a pretty tough opening. Like it's 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 not the two toughest games on the schedule, but back to back in the situations that they're in, it, it is pretty harrowing. At least Ohio State is playing Minnesota on a Thursday, so that actually gives them extra time to prepare for Oregon. And again, Oregon's body clock will be playing at nine a.m. That also helps too. But uh, That's rough. but yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting opening two games for a team who will be starting a new quarterback and having almost a completely new defense. So. Oh boy, now you're getting me nervous here, Josh. It, it definitely makes you a little bit nervous, but it, to me, it adds to the excitement too. You know, we're not opening week one against Tulsa or Akron or a team like that. So it's definitely a different variable. 
It is something that we may not be the most comfortable with, but it sort of adds to the, to the excitement. So, um, but I, I think talking through all of our predictions, we are predicting good things. We are predicting positivity, and I think that we uh, are confident in this team. So we'll see if any of these come to fruition. I think that we put six good ones out there. Uh, so, Matt, you know, I think we're going to close it out. I, I want to thank you immensely for stepping in. You crushed it. No surprise. Uh, you're the editor for a reason. Is there anything you want to mention for the site this week or next that people should be looking out for? Just that, as you said at the beginning, we are doing Bold Predictions Week. Um, this, we've had themed weeks for each of the four weeks in July. We started with, oh gosh, what did we start with? We started with, um, oh, Unpopular Opinion Week. Then we did What If Week. Then we had Broken Records Week. And we are now in Bold Predictions Week. One thing that we're going to be doing right. throughout all of August is somebody on the site is going to be answering a question every day. Some of those questions will be questions they are asking about the team. Some of them will be questions that you come up with and submit. So if you're listening to this, we weren't going to start the call for questions yet. But if you listen to this and have a question you want somebody to answer about the season, send us a tweet at landgrant33 and ask us the question. Say you want it to be uh, to be answered in, in one of our articles throughout the month of August, and we will put it in the rotation, obviously, with a little bit of discretion if there, there are some things that we might uh, not want to get into depending on your content. But um, that's something we're going to be doing throughout August. We're really excited um, uh, about all of the uh, the different stuff we've got planned uh, during fall camp and into the season. So just keep keep following on Twitter at LandGrant33, checking the site, and uh, it's going to be a really, really fun season here. Uh, I mean, really starting in... Oh, was it the third? So like a week. It's like a week before fall camp starts. Yeah, the excitement builds. I'm looking forward to August on the site and in podcasts. So... Matt, thank you so much for coming in and, uh, and filling in for Gene. He was sorely missed, but he had some prior obligations. He's probably watching Mets Twitter now that we're up upon the MLB trade deadline. But um, please like and subscribe. Hit us up on Twitter, at Holy Land Pod. Interact with us online. We'd love to sort of hear what you have to say and throw questions to us if you want. Maybe it's one of those ones that's going to end up on the site in August. So from Matt Tamanini, I am Josh Dooley. We'll talk to you next week.